0: Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Do you have I New can't... Year over there in England? No, it... we're still in the 18th century.
1: Mm. Horse and it's buggies,
0: very, a lot of horse crap.
1: New Year. Now, right yeah. now, I'm picturing Andy walking through the streets of you know old old London with a top London. hat on, and 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 singing like in in the Albert Finney Scrooge movie. I hate people. <laughs> That's probably
0: actually quite accurate. He's got a cane, <laughs> smacking people as he goes by small children. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red
1: alert! All crew members report to battle stations! Red alert! Shields up! What shields? You starfleet officers! Now start acting like it!
2: Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple,
1: Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole
2: known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've
0: assembled here at Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophet, a Deep Space Nine podcast, a two true freaks presentation. Tonight's episode is the second episode of Season 2. No, Season 7. Blimey, I've gone back in time. Shadows it's the out. seventh episode of Season 2. It's the seventh episode of Season 2, or the second episode of Season 7, depending on when you're listening to this. I am Admiral Andrew Leyland, and I am joined, as ever, by my wayoon... Dr. Bill Robinson. Yes. <laughs> my Demar, <laughs> Paul Spataro. I'll, I'll take Demar.
2: <laughs> and my General Martak, Dave Oh, Pascal. even better. Oh, it's a good day to do this episode. <laughs> and the day is not yet over.
1: One, one-eyed One Dave.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't get enough out of
2: that
0: guy. We will get you into Stovacore. Uh, do we have any news? Is there any point doing any news? I mean, I suppose we should mention that René Bourgeois passed away over Christmas as we're recording this. Obviously, this will be nine months down the line before you hear it. It's always weird when somebody dies in something that you're watching. I mean, it's just me, probably. But suddenly I'm conscious I'm watching a dead man. Yeah. And it's it's always a little bit strange and a little bit eerie at first. And then, obviously, you get used to it because there's an awful lot of stuff. In Star Trek right now, where the people involved are dead, which is quite sad. But uh, Rene Aubergeois is the first of the new Trek cast to die. Be it the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, uh-huh. Enterprise. No, didn't. Uh, Nog passed away before he did. Yes, he's not. An, he's not. An, he's not an opening credit, though. Oh, 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 So I'm not counting that. Not that I don't love Nog. I did. Yeah. So that that's quite sad as well. When you realise that even the new Trek shows now have a cast that are old enough to start. Passing on. It's very sad. So rest easy, Mister René Obregonois. I mean, all all of the news reports kind of centered on Benson, but obviously to us, he's Odo, and he was brilliant in Boston Legal. They should have counted. They should have. It should have focused on the fact that he was Peter Parker. Yes, it should have focused on that. One of the many, many things he did in his career. Uh, th- there's no other news. Picard drops in twenty days. Hmm. I can't wait for that. As of this recording, you know, before we were watching Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, the um, the advert before it was for Picard, there was actually a cinema advert for Picard, hmm. which made it look pretty damn cool, actually, seeing it on a big screen. So that looked all right. Yeah, that, that just it? kind of killed the conversation right there. Sorry, I, I was waiting <laughs> for people to say if they had any news regarding, I say, news. Does anyone else have any outdated information that we're passing off as news? I got nothing. Uh, well, it's, it's been Christmas so it's been a quiet hasn't it alright Deep Space Nine Season 7 Episode 2 Shadows and Symbols written by Ida Stephen Burr and Hans Bemler, directed by Alan Kroika we never get bored of that gag Sisko meets Ezri, the new host of the Dax Symbiont before departing Earth for the planet Tyree with his father Joseph and his son Jake Ezri wishes to accompany them on their search for Bejor's mythical orb of the emissary which Sisko has been led to believe exists Back at the station, Kira prepares a blockade to stop the Romulans from arming the weapons they have placed on the Bajoran moon of Dima. On General Martok's Klingon ship, Worf, O'Brien, Bashir and Quark embark on a mission of their own, to destroy a Dominion shipyard, thus securing a place in the spirit of Worf's dead wife, Jadzia, in the sacred Klingon afterlife of Stobokor. Sisko and his crew arrive on Tyree. Guided by his visions, they begin a long trek across the vast desert terrain. Eventually, Sisko stops and digs on a seeming whim, whilst his father, son and Ezri can only watch. Kira sets her blockade with old Bajuran ships, and 14 Romulan warboards arrive early. Neither Kira nor the Romulans appear willing to back down. Back on the Klingon ship, Worf, having reached the star system where the shipyard is located, masterminds a plan in which his vessel will fly dangerously close to the sun and trigger a plasma ejection that will destroy the Dominion facility and illuminate the gates of Stovacor for Jadzia. The plan seems to fail when they are unable to trigger the plasma injection. On Tyrese, Sisko's digging uncovers an orb arc, but dangerous visions of Benny Russell cause him to hesitate from exposing the orb within. Sisko's visions cause him to... ...to question his faith and hastily bury the Ark containing the orb without opening it. Sisko defeats his doubts in his vision, and Ezri forces Sisko to open the Ark. But when he does, an energy vortex is unleashed which opens the wormhole and expels from it the parraiths, the enemies of the Prophets, who sealed the Anomaly. His mission successful, Sisko encounters what appears to be his dead mother, Sura. After commending him, she reveals that she is one of the wormhole aliens, the Bajuran Prophets, who merged with the woman's body years ago to ensure Sisko's birth and the fulfillment of his destiny. With the Prophet's feed and the wormhole open, the course of the war shifts. Worf and his comrades manage to execute their plan and demolish the shipyard, a victory that finally allows for Jadzia's entrance into Stover Court. At the same time, Kira successfully causes the Romulans to back down when the Tyree team returned to Deep Space Nine the Bajoran people praise Cisco for his reopening of the wormhole the Temple of the Prophets his crew welcome him back and are perplexed by the arrival of Ezri Dax ooh uh, this was a really good part two it's rare that Star Trek pulls off part one and part two I actually think this one and the previous episode would have made a really good 90 minute opener rather than being two separate episodes and they work better if you watch them that way it's funny. I was I was going to say it is a really
1: good part two, and the reason in my mind why it is, is is it would almost be fine as a standalone. You know, you, it it's just it would there's so much that goes on in it, uh, and it, and it's so entertaining that like I didn't feel the gap in between the two didn't bother me at all. Like I don't know, it it just yeah as one as a one parter, you know one a lengthy one parter. I, I think it would be terrific, but even on its own,
0: I think it was really good. I think this this was a very satisfying episode. Mm. They both have been. This has been a solid opener for season two. Season two. I keep saying season two. You just you just upset a, that we're I almost done. I am. I don't yeah, want I don't, it to end. I don't. No, that's very true. I, I think yeah, it was a solid two part opener. It's there are minor writing issues that aren't their fault. The having to introduce a new character this late in the game does mean that they have to spend time establishing who Ezra is when they've really got a lot of plot lines that they've got balance in at the moment. But the Kira Odo stuff, I thought was absolutely brilliant. I love Kira in this one. I love that she's got a bite back and I love her bluffing the Romulans. That was very Captain Kirk. (laughs) Uh, And I love Odo just being a little conscience and saying, "Mm ooh, Maybe this isn't the best thing to do, but I support what you're doing. I thought, oh, that was lovely. I support what you're doing, even though it
1: scares the living crap out of
0: me. Yes, <laughs> even though it probably means we're going to die. I'm all right if this is what you want to do. Fair enough. I uh,
1: well, I, 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 we haven't heard from uh, all precincts yet, so I shouldn't throw things in yet. Bill, I think, Dave.
3: I, I'm glad that General Martok called Warf out for being somewhat of a of a pain in the butt with uh with the way he was treating. Um, O'Brien, Bashir, and even Quark, you know, and, and it was nice that, that they had him give, like, a look over his shoulder, like, man, can you just not be a dick?
0: And then later it says, hey, stop being an ass. <laughs> you know, yeah, I cut Wolf a bit of slack on this one because he is still grieving the death of his wife. True, but, but, he, but he, he is a dick, but Wolf's always been a bit of a dick. That's what I like about it. Not every character has to be 100% likable all of the time. And I like that Worf occasionally lets his emotions get in the way.
3: Well, and he does back down. Well, I don't want to say back down, but he, you know, then uh, gives somewhat of an apology. <laughs> Although, uh, Quark wasn't completely satisfied he's, with it.
1: He's almost as, as, uh, as you know, he, he, <clears throat> he means it almost as deeply
0: as the guy in uh, Star Trek V. I apologize. <laughs> 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 yeah, but the thing is, as well, Quark's been a bit of a dick. Quark's not being yeah. there for purely altruistic reasons. At least O'Brien, well, I'm sorry, O'Brien is only there because Bashir is there. Even though O'Brien ends up being the one that saves the day, so it was a good job he went along. Yeah, but but Bashir is there for altruistic reasons. Quark, Quark's a bit of a knobhead. Yeah, but uh, well, uh, yeah, but are you sure he's not there for altruistic yes. reasons? Because because
3: there's no profit in what he's doing, and he really, right. serves,
1: he really serves no purpose there. He
3: doesn't other, serve other, no purpose, than, other, other than he goes.
0: Friend. He didn't have to go. Yeah, but that—that's the thing. He didn't have to. He doesn't help the mission. He didn't have to go. He serves no purpose. He's there to ease his own conscience and ego. He's not there for Jadzia. The fact that he keeps wanting to be thanked for what he's doing. See, but I see that as a tremendous jump forward for a Ferengi. Right. Yeah, the fact that he is doing something that has no profit in it. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, from, from a mission point of view,
1: it's like, well, why are you here? He, he's he's there really purely for moral support and no other reason.
0: Yeah, I think Martok's got the right idea. They're all here to pay their final respects to Jadzia in the only way they know how. And Quark doesn't really know how to. He's not a warrior. He's not a fighter. And perhaps he feels that just by being there, he's he's honoring his friend in some way. And I can kind of buy that. I can go into that, even though he is a little bit of a bonehead.
2: Yeah, I mean, can we just make a donation? <laughs> <laughs> I would yeah. say
1: yes, that's exactly right. You are supporting your friend, but you're doing nothing else. Please stay out of the way. We have yeah. a mission to accomplish.
0: I appreciate that you're here. I appreciate your reasons for being here. Now sit down and shut up. Yes, Mm -hmm. especially a Klingon
1: should be thinking that way, because the Klingon should have no patience. I think part of the problem I have, and it's a minor, it it is a nitpick, but I think Worf's emotional state and the way he treats other people is shown inconsistently, because as writers, he's one of the main characters in this show, he's very popular, you want to keep him that way, but he's kind of being a total dick, and you have to write him in a way where it's like, okay, he's being a dick, but he's our dick. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, like, I, I, I don't think he's totally consistent in the way he's presented.
0: I think he's conflicted more than anything. He, I mean, can see. I didn't quite understand. I thought only Klingons could go to Stoverco. Well,
2: apparently, not. too. I thought only Klingons could too.
1: And, and, and he's Klingon by you know, marriage. I was thinking about that when I was well, watching no. it too. Uh, that that. Stoval Corps is, you know, it's their version of heaven. So hmm. heaven to a Klingon is being in nonstop battle, you know, <laughs> whereas, you know, c- constant chances for glory. Whereas Jadzia's idea of heaven might be a peaceful beach. So she might hmm. be in normal heaven. And, and or oh, whatever just, the equivalent of that is for to Trill. And and just enjoying the heck of it, out of it. And then Worf does this on her behalf, so she gets ripped from this heaven and put into a nonstop Klingon battle, <laughs> where she's like, what
0: the hell? This isn't heaven, this is hell. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it didn't work out terribly well when they did that to Buffy. Mm,
3: true. Yeah, but they took her out
0: of heaven.
2: Yeah, and brought her back right. to hell. Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed the, uh, the man with the goatee being back with the dad, the whole Indiana Jones riff, <laughs> with Ezra Dax's Marcus Brody.
1: <laughs> Look how lost in her own museum, eh? Yeah, pretty wow. much. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I, now, I had a question about that, and perhaps you guys could talk me through this.
3: All right, shoot, Columbo.
2: They couldn't beam down right to where the, the orb was, Correct.
3: Right, because of uh, radiation.
0: Okay. <laughs> Been a while since you trotted out that gag. <laughs> so,
2: so so why couldn't, say, just Cisco and maybe Dex beam down, get to the spot, and then signal for the old timer to come down once they had a signal that they could lock onto instead of making the old guy walk across the desert on a know well, be- no name? <laughs> well,
3: uh, it's... Kind of like... Uh, Go ahead, Bill. Uh, Justify this one. <laughs> well, no. It would kind of run in parallel to the other storyline in that they're going there as emotional support to Ben. They don't need to be there. You're right. Jake and Jake and the old man don't need
0: to be there. To... I would argue Jake does because he's going to record it as a story. I would mm-hmm. imagine the Bajoran okay. popular press will want to read this story. Yeah, you would think
3: that the old man that took a nap while they were flying there, because it was nappy time, <laughs> would, would not want to, you know, beam down onto the desert planet, yeah. Arrakis, Dune, <laughs> Tatooine, Jacko Tatooine, yeah. yes. Insert desert planet name here. You know, I, you know, I lost a hutch on Tyree once.
0: Hey.
3: And to anyone who doesn't get that joke, for your, why are you here? Why am I here?
1: Oh. Uh, one of the things, and I don't know how much we discussed it in the first time around when when we discussed the, the real-world uh, presentation of our characters. So, you know, Benny is back. Does it disturb anyone else? And I love this story. Just let me give a little background. I love this, this whole storyline and this aspect of it. But I do find it a little disturbing when a show effectively acknowledges their characters are characters, and in its own world, they're not real.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's... But how it's do you a, know...
3: But is... In the show canon, is Benny real? or right. he, I mean, I know he's supposed to be real, but is that just something that the Paw rates set up to, you know... I, I mean, which is real? I mean, you know, Chicken they're both the characters... Egg. Yeah. They're both characters on a show, and uh, yeah, that is supposed, it's supposed to be the
1: real world, but... Is it the real world? Ooh. Well, now they're not supposed to be characters on a show. They're supposed to be characters in Benny's imagination that he's writing.
0: Yeah, because right. the writing on the wall is the entire every single episode of the show so far.
3: Well, what I'm saying is that that's not real
0: either. Or it's it, Cisco believes it to be
3: real, when he's there. But is that just a a another? You're gonna turn into uh, Doug Henning. Is it an illusion? Illusion, a par-wraith, uh,
0: Well, a prophet uh, illusion to keep him on the path. Yeah, it it's a little bit too Grant Morrison meta fiction, isn't it? Yeah, and
1: and it's like
0: I said, it's 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 so well done that it doesn't keep me from enjoying it in
1: any way. In fact, I enjoy it immensely. But it just, you know, on one on another level, I want my fiction to treat itself as if it's real. And this is, this is acknowledging that they're not real. <laughs> mm. So you wouldn't have liked the original ending for the series, then? I, I forget what the original ending was, and you know what? I'm going to ask you to put that on hold until we get to the end,
2: mm. and we'll, we'll discuss
1: it more at length. And I'll probably know, I'll probably recall by then what it was. Uh, Cause
2: but because the, re- the writing
1: was
0: literally on the wall. <laughs> Badum-cha! Yeah, well, they've done, they, they would do this. I mean, it's a very comic book plot. Flash 300 did this story where, you know, actually Barry Allen was covered in all these chemicals and actually burned him. It didn't give him powers. And all this thing where you're the Flash fighting these ridiculous villains, all of that is just your mind trying to cope with what's happened to you. And Batman, there's an episode of issue of Legends of the Dark Knight that did exactly the same thing. Yeah, I I know it's not a
1: a new original story device. Smallville did it. But it's done better here here than it is in most other occasions, and I think that's why I'm very forgiving of it. but it, it, it. Yeah, I don't like. I said it just, there is a level of it bothering me that my fiction is acknowledging itself as fiction.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a fine line when you you start breaking the fourth wall because you do suddenly get to the point. Well, none of it matters then, does it? Why should I get emotionally invested in it then? Yeah,
1: so and, and and yeah. I just I just have to turn that question off in my mind and move on because that question disturbs me and, and it bothers me when I watch it. So I have to say eh, just, you know, take it for what it is and move on. And and, yeah. when, and when we leave this episode, go back to just immersing myself in the fiction again.
0: Mm. And it is nice to
1: see DeMar in a different role. Yeah, it's surprising, mm-hmm. honestly, it's a little surprising that Casey Biggs
0: hasn't done a lot else.
1: Mm. See, he seems, he seems to be a pretty good actor.
0: He's a very good actor, yeah. But most of the actors from Deep Space Nine came off the stage for that reason. And I think he's just gone back to being on the stage. Maybe he made his money from Deep Space Nine and he was happy. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what did, you, did you like Kira's subplot? Because there's three essential... Well, they're not really subplots. There's three A-plots in this episode. And all of them work really well. It's funny. Kira's subplot I found
1: to be really good and really entertaining. But when I walk away from this episode, that's the one that I tend to kind of forget. Mm. I, I well, focus I'm, more on, the, on
0: the, the orb and all of that. I like it because Deep Space Nine has always played with this political idea that the problem doesn't go away at the end of the episode. And I like that Admiral Ross, for one of the first times in Star Trek, really, an admiral isn't being portrayed as being an asshole he's portrayed as being a man who is in a very difficult situation. He knows we need the Romulans to win this war, but at the same time, he knows that they're underhanded and what they're doing isn't kosher. And ah. there's a part of him that I think is on Kira's side. Okay. Oh, I, I, think I think he's...
1: I think that's exactly right. I think he agrees with what is doing, although I think he's just as nervous as Odo is. Yeah, uh, I've got something to say about that. So, I... In,
3: in my canon, Admiral Ross is not as good as he's made out to be here, but like, oh, I don't want to play poker with you, or blah, 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 blah. Okay, so up until that point, he doesn't say anything. He, you know, we, it's fine that we believe he's on her side, but it's only after the wormhole is reopened and, and Bajoran, you know, Bajor is now suddenly be, like, The way I look at it is the wormhole closed down. Yeah, Major, you're not really as important anymore as you were, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We need the Romulans now. We don't really need you. Wormhole's not here. Who cares about you? You know, you're not as tactically important as you were. Oh, crap. The wormhole's back open now. You're tactically important. I better back you is what I need to do. I think, I mean, that's my
1: dark, you know version of, of I, I, him coming around to her side. I think you're right that that's the Federation politics of it. I don't think Ross oh, agrees think with he, the Federation he, politics, but I think he's forced to. I think his as his role as an admiral, he has to take that side. But I, don't, if the wormhole I don't think he believes opened, in it. If the wormhole hadn't opened, would he have backed her? That's what I'm saying. I think if the Romulans backed down, he would have backed her. You know, it's just if if the Romulans didn't back down and it turned into a uh, firefight of some sort. Well, the Romulans didn't back down until he
3: supposedly said, well, if you don't, you know, remove them, I will. But it's just,
1: yeah. I think he, he needed uh, plausible deniability as far as backing Kira's position, but I think <laughs> internally he agreed with it.
0: And I think it's impressive how politically savvy Kira has become because her answer to his thing when she says it's a battle you can't win, she really should have said, do you know anything about me? Yeah. Because, you know, Bajor, the occupation of Bajor was a battle we couldn't win as well.
2: Yeah. All I kept thinking was Cuban Missile Crisis. It's funny
0: you should say that's that I was if you look on Memory it's... Alpha, that's what the writers pitched it as.
1: The only difference is we didn't want Russia as a... Uh... An ally. True.
2: So well, we, we we didn't want World War Three.
0: We've also tiptoed around the fact that this is Esri's proper debut, and mm-hmm. um, she's she's lovely, and I like Nicole De Burr quite a lot. I would have much preferred knowing where the show goes. I actually would have preferred her and Jake to get together because they seem like such an adorable couple. I mean, I do like Cisco pointed out she's seven years, seven hundred years older than him, but that's the the trill that's 700 years older than him isn't it it's not Mm esri right yeah i think that's in the next episode right Yep.
1: yes there's a little inconsistency on that front though with the whole trill uh you know she was the only one who could do it blah 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 in the past they've removed the the symbiote and switched it from you know like put it in a body temporarily because she yes. says, I didn't want this. I had to do it because I was the only one available who who was able to do it. Uh, but if she really didn't want it, when they arrived on Trill or wherever they were going to, they could have picked mm-hmm. a, a more suitable host. Yeah, but yeah,
0: I could I'm, I'm, not be the incubator to keep the, the symbiote alive until they can find a proper initiate.
1: Yeah,
3: which is exactly <laughs> yeah, what they could have done and didn't. I'm thinking maybe that they couldn't do that because, one the symbiote was too weak Two, maybe after it's been with the host for so long it's not conducive to remove like maybe they couldn't get the trill because of the war maybe they couldn't get the trill soon enough to be able to take that out that would be like a you know behind the scenes canon to explain it because that's not really explained I mean that might explain away why the you know the inconsistency yeah because there was what the episode in uh, next gen that where they ah put it in put it out put it in Riker
0: oh that's no, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think I think that just shows that they hadn't really thought it through when they did it on Next Generation. And on Deep Space Nine, obviously, they give it more time and more preparation. And I think it says a lot about Ezri that she was willing to do this rather than let the initiate die. The symbiote die, sorry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I've, unless they mention it in the next episode and I just missed it, I don't know why they couldn't at some future point take that. Symbiote and give it to somebody who is trained for the job. Unless, like Bill's hand waving works, once it's in the and it's fully enmeshed, it's not as easy to remove it.
1: I'm, I'm not <laughs> buying that, but I think since they did have more time to think of it, they should have they should have taken to account. well we've said this in the past, how can we acclimate this?
3: Well, maybe See, I it's w-
2: not. Well, I'm sorry.
1: May, maybe it's not so much as it affects the symbiote.
3: Maybe once yes. it's in the host for so yes. for such an amount of time, now okay, you're going to pull it out, and uh, this person yeah. may have all those memories still in their head.
0: What is that going to do to them? Yeah, That's poor, I Ezri. yeah poor Ezri Yeah, poor is now saddled with eight lifetimes worth of memories that the symbiote isn't there to provide context for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that works. Eh. That. I, I can buy it in the sense that you can buy the symbiote as as a as a concept, is a little bit iffy the idea that they can only live with somebody else. So who has free will in that relationship, really? Because suddenly Ezra's got all of these lifetimes that she's not lived, and she doesn't really know, and she has no actual experience of. Yeah, and she's ordering ice, ice raccochino. Blah! Yeah. God, this is gross. Why did I order this? Yeah, so the, the, entire, the entire symbiotic relationship between the two of them is slightly iffy in the first place, but you've just got to kind of accept it as one of those, well, it's a cultural it's another culture's thing that I don't understand, but okay, it seems to work for them
1: well, I'll, I'll accept it, but I think it's honestly a little bit of a
0: half-assed uh, presentation yeah. <laughs> Well, it is, and the writers actually added that Go Through Memory Alpha, where they say we we didn't plan for this we didn't want to introduce a new character in the final season but Terry Farrell left and this was the situation we had to deal with and it's we didn't want to put the host in a man because we felt the show was top heavy with male characters anyway. So we didn't want to lose a female character. So this this was basically the best we could come up with in a situation that we hadn't planned for and didn't want. And it's kind of like, well, OK, fair enough. Oh, no, I have I have no issue with the choice of Esri Dex.
1: That's that's not my uh, you know that's not where I'm finding a level of inconsistency You're just the internal logic. Yeah uh in fact i i think i'm more on board with her inclusion on the show now than i was when it was live or you know originally aired is a better word than live i find her to be so much more charismatic now than i did then i don't know why that is uh her, i mean her eyes are just you know like magnets <laughs> mm. and she's, she's
0: stunningly beautiful in real life yes because she was at London Comic Con last year, and even though I don't know how old she is now, but she's still beautiful. She's in her 40s now. Oh, wow. so, 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 so she's yeah. still a kid, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Well, I'm in my 40s, so that's perfectly acceptable.
3: So it was like Angela, you know, she's slugging you, hey, what are you looking at? What are you looking at?
0: No, I think there was far too much eye candy for her to look at as well. So huh. Jason Momoa was there, so, you know. I thought you were saying you were eye candy for her to look at. Oh, and, and un- <laughs> undoubtedly. Jason Momoa was there so she could ignore him once again and be annoyed that he was in her way.
3: <laughs> Get this big walking carpet out of my way.
0: Yeah, the funny thing about that is why the hell does he need an entourage of bodyguards when he towers over all of them? <laughs> it's like he literally had four bodyguards around him, all of whom look like umpa Lumpers in comparison. That you, man, is, he's huge. Union requirements. Yeah, probably. Uh, like, she... It, he didn't look like he needed them.
1: Yeah, but you know what? I I don't think it would be well received if he beat the crap out of somebody who was annoying him. Whereas one, <laughs> one, one of his onlookers, I think it's okay. Yeah. You know, one, one of his entourage, if they protect him somehow.
3: Nicole Devore is uh forty nine. Oh wow, wow.
1: she's a, she, she's she older than She's she's in Bill's world. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. She'd be honey, perfect for honey, you. If you, and Jen, you're out. if you and Jen don't make it, you can give
3: her a call. There's always hope. Yeah, right. She just had a birthday. Jen or Nicole? Uh, Nicole. <laughs> My true love, Nicole. Did you send her a gift? Well, she didn't just have it. Well, actually, it would have been by the time. It, it was December 20th. So. Happy She's birthday.
0: Canadian. She's Canadian. She's out there she by... Yeah. She's in loads of Canadian television shows. If you IMDB her, every Canadian television show made over the past 20 years, she's been in. Yeah,
3: because she was in uh, The Dead Zone. Yep. Canadian. Private Eyes. They're Canadian. watching you. Haven. Haven. Canadian. Haven. <laughs> I'm in Haven. Stargate Atlantis. Canadian. Five Days to Midnight. Canadian. After midnight.
2: <laughs> uh, they look like us. They sound like us. The Canadians. <laughs>
0: Wait, she was in the movie Cube? Wait, yes? Cube? Uh, that was the first that was the first thing I ever saw. Is was that covering that go? issue of
1: Back to the uh, the the uh, the comic we covered in Back to the bins
3: <laughs> I forgot she was in Cube and so was uh, David Hewlett, which is also in a lot of Canadian things. Yeah. I like Cube. Cube's a great film. I wanna watch some Canadian television. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Billy Joe Armstrong. <laughs> anytime, anytime.
2: How many more appear? Do we get any more appearances with Cisco's dad? I think we do. Oh. Hmm. I didn't think
3: he was done. I don't know. T- the desert almost killed him. He 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 looked more like Mac from. uh I, it's from what I was just thinking. Predator. I'm gonna. Have
2: a, you go on, son. Uh, I'm gonna have I was wa- I was waiting for him to take off his pants and put him on his head like Chevy Chase in Vacation. He's going through the desert.
1: That would have worked. Let's see, Joseph Cisco let's have a look the Cisco
3: I'm sure he's in more after this
0: no no it doesn't it looks like this is his last appearance
1: in the show I'm gonna miss him
0: yeah it it does I liked him I like Brock Peters uh proof positive that somebody else can play Darth Vader
1: yes you beat me to it damn how how would how would that have been if you actually put James Earl Jones in the costume
0: I, I I don't think Darth Vader would have been as fearsome. Just like if you'd left Dave Prowse's voice. Who are you? Part of Rebel Alliance? You're traitor. Take her away. I oh, got a combine harvester. I have. Who are? Her?
3: Hey, don't don't make fun of what a safety man.
0: He was the Green Cross code
3: man. Green Cross.
0: Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Sit Stop. down there. Mm. Look both ways before you cross, children. Yeah, you look both ways before you cross, so you don't get run over by a combined harvester. Who are? I am your father. Sounds like like Samwise <laughs> from the from the Ralph Bakshi
1: version of Lord of the Rings.
0: Hey, Luke, I'm your dad. You are. <laughs> That's not true. Search so your feelings, boy. You know it to be true. I don't think it would be. No, it just doesn't work, does it? You don't want to choke on your aspirations, Director Koenig. <laughs> I was
3: Irish, dude. I mean, whatever. I'm slipping in and out. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> slipping in and out. Is that you, and Jeff? I can't keep. <laughs> I can't keep my. I can't keep my English accent straight.
0: <laughs> Stay on target.
2: That's right. Oh,
0: okay. I lost anyway. me. I lost Tyree. I lost Hutch. I lost Starsky. I lost Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> okay we're starting to tangent boys we are starting to tangent it's, it's a great episode this i really do like it what's the
3: tagline for this
0: <laughs> I, I i don't know you normally come up with who are i got a brand new defiant you won't know that though I you got a brand new combine harvester, and i'll give you the key you don't know that sunday wait <laughs> What? Is that roll the brand oh, new I was key to say that sounds just yeah. like i got a brand new pair of roller skates yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. I got a brand new starship Defiant, and I'll give you the key. That'll work.
3: But nobody will understand when they see the picture. What does that have to do with this?
0: Episode? Yeah, they, they they will not understand. Yeah. Just like, I, I got mine. a brand new Combine Harvest. There was a cracking song. What <laughs> did you think yeah. of Avery Brooks acting?
1: When he's dig- digging for the orb, and then when he's covering you the mean, orb, and all that.
3: You mean that? when he wasn't acting
0: anymore? <laughs> when that was his normal... Slalom. Slalom, <laughs> I'm going to dig through the sand... <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. I've, anyway. I've, I've i've just gotten used to every brooks
1: i think he's well, every because there's the point where he does like the crazy guy what would he's got to answer that call you don't doctor so-and-so needs to get there you know that I, part
2: i think it would have been pretty pretty funny for the grandfather to say to jake you know when this is all over dad may be going away for a while <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes so, yeah, I, I I thought that was kind of, like, funny. Like, he, he almost does, like, the wild eyes and everything as he's doing that.
2: It would have been funny if he kept yelling out, it's under a big W. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry,
3: Aunt Bell. You, know you know what was a nice touch? And this is going to sound weird that I, that I noticed this. That the paint on the roller matched the paint on the wall. The carpet matched the drapes. <laughs> I wasn't going there. I wasn't going there. But, no, I'm just, like, I mean, it's. Because how, how many times do you see things like that to where, wait, wait, that's not even what? But it was it was like there was that same like puke green institutional
1: co- color that I've seen many times in the service. Well, I I think there's, there's almost a, a little bit of a symbolism there uh, in that if it was a different color when you cover it up, you could still see there was something there. But by having it be the exact same color, if you cover it up, it no mm. longer exists. Mm, good. Mm, didn't catch that. Neither did I until you just brought the question up and then that's what what I think of as uh, where they were going with that. Uh, Uh, But, you know, I I, I don't know exactly how they were trying to resolve Benny's storyline with the, you know... Is this the last
3: time we see Benny?
1: Oh, I I don't know about that. I thought it was, but perhaps I'm wrong. Well, one other thing
3: we haven't mentioned is uh, the whole fact that Cisco um, finds out that his mother was a prophet. See, it almost
1: sounds like you were going to say prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I like he, that. I, but to the, me, to me, it's the thing that they never overtly said about Darth Vader, but implied. Uh, so now they, they're, they're, you know, basically he's he's Anakin Skywalker.
0: Well, plus you were I the mean, chosen one, Anakin. You
3: were but, my brother. In in an era, I, I mean the world. fact that the prophet's just basically took over this woman's body and used it as a, as a, as a meat skin and brought about his birth mm, and then they left this they they left this woman this woman's like who are you this is my kid i'm,
1: I'm your husband
0: what's going on <laughs> it's like the prophets have not really thought this through Well, they don't really care
1: yeah i think that's even, more
0: even what it worse is. they don't care they just well we got to
3: get this done um so yeah and like where was her consciousness for the what like two years or whatever this suddenly she wakes up and she has a kid she's married to uh, Darth Vader uh, what's going on here this, I mean that's, that's that was just kind of glossed. I mean it just, I'm sure it'll never be mentioned again but that's a pretty effed up thing to do to somebody
2: she, she woke up and went what a bender that was it's like oh man
1: who the hell are you <laughs> what the hell are you you ugly mother
3: <laughs> I married you? I don't no. even like you. Who are you?
1: I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah, that is that is I mean very wrong of the prophets. <laughs> but it Again, shows that they, they, they don't they, care. Yeah, was, they, they have oh it's it's, not, it's almost not as if their morality is different. It's almost as if they just don't have morality. They don't have a
3: concept. They, because they, yeah. they
1: exist... In, they, they're not linear. They exist in a different type of existence where morality isn't a consideration. Which is just... You know, it, it's hard to wrap your brain around that. Brain, brain. What is brain? Anything else? Any other thoughts?
0: No. I... I Nope. nope. Uh, no. <laughs> Andrew? No, no. I, I just that it's a it's a really good example of when they get a part two right. I totally agree. And and
1: to me, having part two right is it could almost be its own part. I think that's that that almost goes hand in hand with it. Uh, so, do we want to give it ratings?
0: Uh, I'm going four. I think it's a solid good, solid good. English makes my speaking, reading good. Um, It's a solid episode. Uh, Really entertaining. Fits well with part one, but also works as a standalone. It could have worked as a 90-minute opener or as two separate episodes. Everybody's on fire. All the plot lines come together really nice. There isn't one of those situations where the A plot's really good and the B plot's shit and vice versa. Everything's good. It's a good opener. Really, really entertaining. I agree
1: with everything you said except for where well, you say everything's good, I'm going to say everything's really good, and I'm going to go four and a half.
2: Dave? Um, I thought it was great. I'll one-up your good. I like the, for me, I, well, I I keep thinking of Raiders of the Lost Orb arc. Going, <laughs> going Raiders the of death. the Lost Orb. <laughs> uh, I love the Cuban Missile Crisis scenario and the Stover Corps battle. Fantastic. I gave it four and a half orbs. Orb, orb, arcs.
3: Orb, arcs. Eep, op, orb. I'm going to give it uh, four and a half uh, paint rollers. Um, yeah, all three plots were good. There was no, ne- I never once was like, okay, how much more of this is is, is there to go? Um, good episode. All, all around good. All right, so that's what we thought. What did Blaine think? Now, I don't remember if we did this last time. I know Dave had a request for a, what does Blaine say, song. I don't, did we save it for this one?
2: Yes. The on a horse with no yeah.
1: name. Uh, I've been... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try, uh, try again.
3: <laughs> I've been through the desert with the man named Blaine, and I just don't know what he said. He had me... Oh, I just botched that all up. That's not off. a bit... What Con- does conceptually not in say
2: what does he say in the desert
1: you don't remember Blaine
2: <laughs>
1: okay anyway so Blaine says hi guys. So, the Cisco has fulfilled his destiny. I wish we had a slightly more compelling way to get there, and I appreciate the vision the Par Wraith sent to distract him, but somehow it just didn't work for me in ways I can't quite articulate. I like that his destiny is now complete, though so long as the Prophet's wormhole aliens need the emissary with a non-linear perspective of time, Ben was safe because he would still need to do something for them. That's gone now. When his life is at risk, it's truly at risk. For the other elements, I like the crew trying to destroy the Cardassian weapons installation, and I appreciate the use of science to complete the mission that more combat-ready ships fail to do. Producing that level of destabilization from such a small part of the sun's surface is questionable, but the entire storyline needs a mission that feels like a suicide mission, which is still completely by a somewhat ragtag group. I would have preferred it if they had to act while cloaked and build the instability over time while trying to avoid detection, but that would have been have to be the A-plot, not the B-plot. That's uh, the scientist in Blaine coming out. Finally, we get good moments from Joseph Sisko and the new Dax. I like her adjustment period now that she's been joined unexpectedly. Shades of Doctor Who's regenerations. Blaine. So Blaine was not quite as happy with it as we were. Hmm but seemed to enjoy it just the same. So he's more in Andy's court, because Andy blasted it with a four.
0: Yes, damn it. I'm overly critical, I guess. You are. Mm -hmm. So that's it for...
1: What is it, Shadows and Symbols? That's the one. What are we doing next time?
0: That is an exceptionally good question. And if I was in any way a professional, I would have already lined up what we're doing next time. If you were in but,
1: any way a professional, they would have
0: started sending you checks some time uh, ago. That would have been very nice if they did that. Next time, a whole new episode of Listen to the Prophets After Image. The Dax everyone knew and loved is gone.
2: I was killed here. I mean, Jadzia was.
0: But her
1: memories have been transplanted. Dax. And eight lifetimes of experience.
2: It's not the same woman. She's still
1: Dax, isn't she? Can't possibly prepare her for this
2: one.
3: I was your wife.
1: I do not know you. nor do I wish to know you? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
0: Which is a song by somebody.
3: Who did that song, Bill? Oh, I don't know. Shall we look it up? Or shall we save you it, it for next time? Look it up.
1: You can save it for next time if you want to. On an all new episode.
3: And I got nothing <laughs> on the first search. I got after images, what it is. is we it have you a mission to try you. After image
0: song? Let's try that. Oh, oh, that's by Rush. That's the one. Yeah, by Rush. <laughs> I knew it was a song. Rush Limbo. Yes. yes. Different Rush. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Nah, nah, uh, before nah. before we sign out, do you want to read a piece of email? I think we have uh, two.
0: Yeah, okay, if you want.
1: So the first is from Anthony... I just want to make it, I'm sure I pronounce him correctly. Embrono. Gentlemen. It's titled the documentary, by the way. Ah. I finally got around to buying and watching the DS9 documentary. I waited a month after buying because I thought watching it would make me sad. But instead, I laughed out loud. I recoiled at Gareth... I cried along with Aaron Eisenberg. I hollered, cheered, and clapped at the writing of the season 8 opener. And I adored Nana Visitor. I'm so pleased with the documentary, full stop. I'm rewatching the series again for maybe the eighth or ninth time, as I was so enthralled with the doc. Well done, Ira. A few points about sons and daughters. Why didn't Marta mention?
0: Sons and daughters, love and laughter, tears of sadness. You were starting you? He used Watsons and Arthur, Australian soap opera. My mother-in-law used to watch it. I've heard that anyway. name,
1: but no, I never watched. Why didn't Martok mention that he had a son? In fact, we never hear or see Martok's son ever again after Worf punches him out in Quark's. Shortly after arriving on the station, that's always bothered me, especially since Martok let Worf into his house. Then George can't stand you, and Ezri and even Esri Dax. The writers can't keep track of everybody, but I kind of felt at least a mention in the episode would have given Martok's character even more depth. Not that he needed it, since I agree he saves this episode. I also wonder if Worf is a bit of a jerk cause his, with his son because he still has no idea how to be a father. This is something that Jadzia noticed and eventually became convinced that Worf had learned enough during the summer of George that she eventually decided to have a baby with him. So by itself, this episode is definitely a two, but I do enjoy the even so-so episodes DS9 set us up for great storytelling later. Happy 2020, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Uh Yeah. <laughs> good good points uh and as you're aware you know we love the documentary as well yep so i guess that's it for this time out uh we will see
0: you next time everybody see you next time bye 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 listen to the prophets. at deep space nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation it is hosted by andrew leyland and paul Spataro. the music and sound clips used in the show are copyright cbs and paramount entertainment if you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2 website, where if you click the little link that we have though, it will take you straight through that site. And whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. In the desert.
3: You can't
2: find an orb because it's somewhere down in the sand.
0: Yeah.